gotta hydrate my head hurt my hands are too dry listening to Boku no Stop, the driest anime podcast. I'm your host, Sybil Arnett, and with me this week is... I'm Garrett. I'm Chris. And Matt is out today because a real Narita 10 gave him a concert ticket he couldn't resist. But we'll be talking without him about Code Geass episodes 11 and 12. Content warnings for today's batch include implied torture, weirdly edited voyeuristic masturbation, and just fun descriptions of suffocation. It's teens jerking at week at Pitch Drop. Yes, it is. I actually have episode titles lined up for both of these already because everyone already made horrible jokes. Matt's is incorrect. Don't use Matt's. <laughs> nope, he got to me first. It's bad. If I don't hear anything better on the audio, it stays. It's okay, I still have to try to find an episode title better for the icons and icons than ass game. I've <laughs> 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 oh, been there. Last time, an anti-drug PSA revealed to us that Callan is dumber than a post, unable to figure out that her Japanese mother stuck around as a maid in their house to watch her daughter grow up, not out of some kind of perverse obsession with her father. Did Callan shitting on her for years lead to Mama getting hooked on Inception heroin? Maybe. But we're never going to hear about it again, because Cornelia is moving in on the JLF's main headquarters in what's intended to be a final assault on the biggest name in Rebellion. Zero and the Black Knights are on the battlefield as well, but not to save their comrades in arms. No, they're here because Lelouch sees a shot at Cornelia's head and he might actually get it after sinking a mountain on top of most of her forces, isolating the commander from backup, and getting assistance in clearing the field from Colin's new Gurren Mark II. With slim resistance standing between the knights and the viceroy, we resume with episode 11, Battle for Narita. I like how you didn't trust me to read the episode title, so you did it anyway. You said that you weren't going to if it wasn't highlighted, and guess what? I highlighted the next one as a result. Oh, did you? Yeah. That means I have to read it. We resume with episode 11, Battle (laughs) for Narita. (laughs) So, starting with episode 11, Battle for Narita, the battlefield (laughs) is in chaos. The battlefield is in chaos. 20% of the Britannian troops remain intact or operational. The only obstacle preventing Zero's instant capture of Cornelia are a couple of pure-blood hotheads who Callan is wiping out in single blows. As the Black Knights around the battlefield fall, especially some of the armorless rookies, Zero thinks the losses are acceptable. Anybody who survives can be considered a warrior. Cornelia prefers to flee to safer ground, except from out of nowhere, two unknown vehicles begin charging up her flank. Toto and the four holy swords have arrived in their new mechs, sticking the vehicles on cruise control to kamikaze into the troops as they launch the mecha. Cornelia flees as the royal guard hold off the JLF, but Toto calls all troops in the mountain out for the final battle, thinking this gamble is worth the risk. 
Uh, Guilford uh, v. Toto occurs down the mountain. It's pretty sick. He's got a chainsaw katana. Yeah. And he's pretty sick. It's, I hate to admit, but wow, cool robot. Uh, <laughs> and elsewhere, Zero and his men push through what forces can still hold a position. Unsure of what to do, and with her generals urging her to make a move, Euphemia is having a breakdown in the command center before... Lloyd breaks protocol and radios in again. He suggests, how about you deploy the Lancelot? While the generals object. While Lloyd tries sweet-talking her, it is Suzuku simply mouthing the word Yuffie on camera that makes her decision, and the unit is deployed. Guilford asks Valletta to keep focus on Zero, track his movements, and thus he is the first to realize Zero is not heading down the mountain towards the guard. Instead, he is headed for Cornelia's retreat at point nine. The knight radios the viceroy, but it is too late. The whole thing was a pincer attack all along, and Callan was already waiting for Cornelia. Zero is merely there to close off her escape. As Suzaku preps to launch, Lloyd asks a question. Why are you a pacifist in the military? Uh, Suzaku says he's in the military to prevent deaths. Lloyd says that contradiction that will get him killed before Cecile goes back to sack her boss and Suzaku launches anyway. Cornelia... Look, gotta keep keep the Britannians from using chemical weapons on their own people. I do like that this is not just a gag. Lloyd has a black eye for the rest of the episode under his glasses. It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cecile is just the person you need to equip a Lloyd with. That's fair. Uh, Cornelia puts up a fight, but Zero's arrival and the Gurn's weaponry make it a one-sided stomp. Cornelia's mech is disarmed of weapons, then literally disarmed by small arms fires just for safety. Yeah, the Gurn's just real sick. It just, like, grabs things with its claw and blows them up. It's sick. Yeah, that seems a little overpowered right now. Yeah, but, I mean, you know... They gotta be strong. I think it's way cooler as a defensive weapon than an offensive weapon, to be honest. Yeah, yeah I, I the like the one use of the later that's fight. real sick. Yeah, like in the Lancelot fight, it's cool, but when you just grab a guy, that's not super interesting to watch. Like, grabbing a guy isn't super interesting, but like grabbing the lance and blowing up the lance that blows up the arm, pretty neat. That's what I'm saying. Real, Way better as a defensive thing. Very cool to watch. Mm-hmm. So. Cornelia radios Guilford and tells him to take the remaining troops and protect Euphemia. She's stating that she will not surrender. Um, she prepares for a kamikaze charge at the Gurren, but suddenly the canyon explodes and a beam cannon-toting Lancelot bursts out of the, deb- the debris at her defense. Uh, the battle is pretty even between the two new model frames with Callan disabling the Lancelot shield instantly and then using her wave surger as a raw firepower force field. But eventually she's knocked off a cliff trying to do this with a blast from the uh, Varus cannon and takes a beating. And without the Gurren, Zero signals the retreat and Cornelia orders Suzaku to pursue them, collapsing alone. As the Black Knights drive off, Ogi and the Vets commiserate on the comms, saying that they basically just used the JLF as bait and left them out to dry for their own escape. Uh, Ogi specifically says, treating people like disposable pieces of chess, that's not Zero's move. If he did, we'd be just be pawns as well, and he wouldn't do that. My guy! <laughs> he literally called you all by chess notation, which you clearly recognize now. How the hell are you so bad at this, Ogi? But, but he's higher up now, so he's not a pawn, so it's fine. Yeah, I guess, if anything, he gets to be a, a knight. He can be the horsey. No, I think Talon's the knight. He's probably, like, a bishop, maybe? 
Kalan is the queen. Come on. Yeah, Kalan is no. definitely the queen. We only have one high-ranking no, female. Kalan is like Kalan is like a rook tier. CC is definitely queen. Yeah. True. CC cheats way more. Anyway, it's no surprise that the Lancelot is able to outgun and outperform Zero's mech with ease, and so Lelouch has to eject, meaning Suzuku can calmly walk over to the escape cot and point a gun at the masked man. Because, you know, he, he won't kill. Because A, that would end our show too early, and B, he's an idiot. As he radios in that he is capturing Zero, Cece walks out onto the battlefield and orders Suzuku to put down his weapon. Uh, our, our little good boy is taken aback by this because he's A, just seeing that this woman is alive for the first time, and B, is working with Zero? But he's even more taken aback when she puts a hand to the Lancelot and makes him relive some kind of trauma involving his dad. Cece tells Zero, hey, you know, you should probably be running while I do this, but he tries to argue, and then some kind of feedback kicks in on her powers? I don't know how to describe what happens here fully. It seems like Lelouch is getting flashes of her memories. We see uh, Cece as a nun at a covenant with the sigil on her forehead carved into it, her at a Japanese shrine, her naked in a lake with a particularly wicked scar or burn across her chest in that shape. A lot of different things going on. Yeah. Um, this then turns uh, Suzaku's trauma dream into some wilder vision with the sigil showing up in wiggly vision TM as faceless <laughs> humanoids shamble towards him. He goes from paralyzed to psychotic, firing the Varus cannon widely in all directions at all phantoms. Um, with this, Zero grabs CC and gets the hell out of Dodge, not before she takes a brutal wound from, shrum- eh, from some sort of shrapnel. Um, Cornelia transmits the order. All her men are to keep formation, but retreat cautiously. This is no longer a battle that is going to be won, only prolonged. Um, the Black Knights are, che- are cheering when Ogi and Callan realize they can't raise Zero. Inside a cave, Lelouch is dressing CC's wounds, noting... He should test her blood later to see if there's anything notable about her. She seems feverish and mutters something um, about, you finally called me by my real name. I choose to believe that Cece is just a huge fan of Avacyn Restored. Hmm. I'm going to post a picture of a magic card, and uh, she just basically has the set symbol in her forehead, and that's her scar. Oh, that's true. That is. That kind of is about that. just that, yeah. Yeah. I can't believe Avacyn is the set that gave us Crater Hoof. Oh God, it's fucked up. Uh, Cordelia and Guilford debrief afterwards. Suzuku is fine, but he couldn't be brought in until the Lancelot's batteries ran dead. Lloyd has covered it up as the Lancelot just having a mechanical error, which, uh, okay. But inside, they pry him out, and he's frantic and just shy of foaming at the mouth, still clicking the trigger fruitlessly and shivering. Uh, back with Zero and CC, we learn that apparently every time a stock water drop sound effect is being played, either CC or Lelouch is speaking her given name. It's really fucking annoying, actually. Yeah, it sucks. He thanks her, saying that she has saved his life repeatedly now. So he'll give her that once. She then asks if he'll say her name, but with tenderness, and it is silently mouthed to the camera. Uh, unreadable, because it's an anime, and the mouths just move up and down. Even looking around online, nobody seems to know what to make of this. And she just ripped him a new one, calling his uh, delivery cold, heartless, stilted, and stern. 
I binged through the rest of the season just to make research easier without spoilers. And yeah, no, uh, not even in any alternate canons do they give CC a full name beyond yeah, we don't have the it. one she goes by. Yeah, that way you can say whatever you want while you're jerking off to your statue or whatever. Clearly, no, that's later. You just have to make sure that you have uh, ASMR water dropping on a pond playing the whole time. Otherwise, it's not authentic. Boy, I'm very excited that you got to find out that we were not like really exaggerating at all. Nope. But I'm not going (laughs) to say any of that on mic because I have I took notes while doing it so I could keep some reactions in. Ah, in town, the scientists, the unluckiest bastards of Japan, are trying to move their experiments once again with familiar pods loaded in the back of a box truck. Imagine having to U-Haul your highly classified machinery out of a disrupted town. Uh, They are stalled out when a traumatized Jeremiah stumbles out onto the road, barely registering them as he screams, I swear I'm not orange! Zero! And collapses in the road. Finally, Zero radios Callan for a pickup, and she's surprised to find their leader with a strange girl in tow in a cave. He assures her that this is a close alley, and he responds to Cece's riddle from last episode about Snow with, I don't know why Snow is white, but I know I don't hate it. Credits. Then we move into uh, stage 12, The Messenger from Kyoto. Uh, We begin in a council room where Cornelia is still stinging from the fiasco at uh, Narita. Um, This is where we're first told about the Japanese-driven governance body, the NEC, or NAC, I guess, um, who were placed in charge of running local industry after the occupation. The military half of councils are convinced they're in cahoots with the rebellion, but any direct JLF uh, NEC ties are basically rubble after the landslide in the Narita skirmish. Um, On screen, amidst the discussion, we can see that Jeremiah is considered to be among the dead from the Battle of Narita. Pretty excited about later in the season when we'll make Neck (laughs) 2. We then cut to six figures around a small fire, once again in an incredibly traditionalist locale, like every single rebellion group who can't let it go. (laughs) These appear to be Kyoto, and most of the members are considering the rebellion quashed with the JLF's defeat. Toto is on the run, and he's lost a lot of the hardware he was just given in order to make his escape, as well as their entire main hideout. But one of them, the only woman in the group, uh, also... Woman, strong word here. This is like a 12-year-old. Look, I didn't want to say, but a little girl pipes up, because that's That's going to sound much worse. That is what happens, though. She's like, look, she looks eight, but in anime, that means she's like 12. So that's a 12-year-old girl. She just pops up and says, there's still hope in the form of the Black Knight, which the others begrudgingly accept, saying, after all, we did give them the Gurren Mark II. You know what? You were really close. I had to wiki it. She's 14 in the first season. Nailed it. I'm impressed. The closest anyone has ever been with guessing the age of an anime (laughs) character. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) The best part about playing anime age Price is Right is it's really hard to go over after a certain point. God, I'm so upset that Orin is like 32 still. I can't get over it every time. Yeah, I I know. I'm like, what the fuck? Do you know how irritated I was the first time I realized I'm older than grizzled, one-eyed veteran Oren. Mm-hmm. He has more hair than I do, and he's the same age as I am. I'm nearly as old as Tella from FF4. 
Don't give me that look. <laughs> Interesting. We cut to Ashford Academy. Shirley, as well, has been given orchestra tickets by her father and also notices Lelouch and Callan are both absent in class. She's visibly down about this, and in the council room, Millie just starts roasting her. There's a whole routine here. Shirley's defense is, it's not that they're gone, it's that they're gone at the same time. And Millie goes, Suzuku's been gone for two days. You don't feel bad about him being out when they are. Suzuku was in a war. Don't you care about him? No. Probably not, no. I mean, that's fair. And eventually, Lelouch just walks into the room, given that this place is kind of his house, and suddenly this whole conversation dies. I hate his coat. The dumb arm strap makes me upset. I think he looks like crap and brown. That's it. I have nothing to add. God, I can't wait to hear you complain to me when you find out that I said I don't know what Fleetwood Mac is. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't you make a Fleetwood Mac reference to me yesterday? No! Oh, right, that was someone else. Okay, never mind. I just remembered who was talking about rumors. Okay. That's the one that John made in this episode. Got it, got it. Well, apparently Fleetwood Mac is just in the air lately. Um, Lush is here to pick up some paperwork Millie wanted sorted, but accidentally grabs Shirley's tickets along with it. Um, we learned the reason he was out this morning was not only had a fever and Sacco was out, so he took care of her. Um, the end result, Shirley chases him down for the envelope, and while they're alone, gives him the second ticket as uh, an invitation. From above, C2 watches the watches in the apartment and begins talking with ghosts again, telling them to stop being so suspicious. She's talking to Emrakul. Well, no, she's talking to future Cheesecon because she has the like the. Yeah, thing. She does have the sticker in her hand again. Yeah. And from even further above, on a different rooftop entirely, um, Japanese uh, Jordi LaForge is watching all of this and grinning. And then we have a uh, meeting of the Black Knight Commanders, where they're receiving a letter of introduction from Kyoto. And uh, if this leads to a more formal relationship, it basically sets them up as the ascendant, like, primary rebellion, getting the funding, hardware, and the works. Love the, uh, it's a love letter, and the Lush goes, oh, really? Yeah, Oki Oki has a lot of personality in these two episodes. It's real fun. Uh, We also learned that the loudmouth member of the crew, Tabaki, has been put in charge of the finances that Zero has provided them with and has uh, gone a little bit over budget by taking all of the new recruits out to fancy dinners. As a result, Zero puts the treasury in Ogi's hands and Tamaki gets all upset again, this time with Kalen shouting down his hot-headed streak. And we smash cut to Nina jacking off on a table over the magazine photos of Euphemia. They're not even good photos. And uh, it's definitely like really heavy TV censorship with her face being visibly uh, digitally blackened and the audio completely silenced. And it's it's pretty obvious what's up when uh, she has to lower her skirt after Nunnally hears someone in here and comes in. And very funny that you like really quickly adjust your skirt for Nunnally. I mean, yeah. As if it wasn't, like, obvious enough. I mean, like, the table is also visibly wet in that scene, too. I need you to know, I've mentioned this before, that the first thing I do on any of these Code Geass uploads on Crunchyroll is I just scroll down, because if there's an (laughs) overly long intro, someone has put the time code where the episode starts in there. On this episode, 
literally nothing is in the top comments except people going, wait, what the hell was that Nina scene? What is she doing there? Because they couldn't figure it out between the censorship or being 12. That's, it's not even like that censored. They just like, like put a silhouette over her. Like there's visibly fluid on the table afterwards. I can definitely see how if you don't know how that works for ladies, you would be confused here. I, I Look, suppose young that is boy, fair. young boys are not familiar with the rubbing on it, rubbing it on things type. So yep. the table, uh, don't do the table though. You're gonna get some splinters and shit. Come on, uh, that's a really fancy table. To be fair, it's probably sealed. That's true. Also, I need to say this whole seat is like thirty seconds tops, which also makes it more jarring. And we're not gonna come back to it this week. No. We then return to the hideout where all of Oki's former cell safe Callan are grousing in secret. Tamaki is just straight up starting shit, going, You know who was going to be in charge before he showed up? You were, Oki. And Oki's like, I don't know, man. Nobody ever said that to me. But Zero is in the little office in the RV, looking over a laptop and making guesses at who the members of Kyoto are prior to the meeting. So he's doing research. Good on Zero. Zero does more work to plan for meetings than I have in years. Every time. Same. Yeah, at the stand-up, I just say, with the CEO, I just say, I don't know, I'm working on stuff. That's pretty much it. I refer to whatever I was asked about last time, I throw in any curveballs, and that's it. And then I just get the hell out of there. Yeah, I'm just, like, in progress, moving on. (laughs) Yep. But Callan knocks on the door, and he's, he's had his mask off in the office, and before she could say anything, he's like, Callan, do you want to know my identity? With the mask half off. But she just thinks, I bet Cece knows. And finds herself too depressed to go any further walking away. That's true. Um, upon returning home, Lush has a chant with Natalie, who teases him about how he seems distant lately, stating that maybe her body did this just to get his attention. Um, she asks if he'll hold her hand until she's asleep, just so she doesn't have that dream again. Um, the next day, as Lewis sets off for the Kyoto meeting, he asks a favor of C of C two that we don't have details on. Um, she slaps him with Shirley's ticket, saying he forgot something, and he snaps back that he didn't forget anything, but was going to call to cancel since he didn't know how long the meeting would last. In fact, Shirley is calling him as they discuss this, and before he can say so, she tells him she's going to blame. Yeah, she's going to be late, but she'll definitely be there. Uh, as we see, she's boarding a train to Narita. Zero stands alone in the mist as a car picks him up. Uh, as the driver of that car, one asks where the rest of his cell is. He says they're performing recon in the area, and he'll signal them in shortly. Then he gasses the driver off screen for who knows why. Uh, we then cut to Narita where the nightmare frames. Suzuka. Oh, we know why later. Uh, Suzuku and the Lancelot included are digging casualties out of the rubble and the landslide. Uh, there's a particularly grim detail where the voiceover is going, move bodies with identifiable, identifiable faces or ideas to tent one, all others to tent two. What the hell is tent two like? Uh, tent two are the people who got microwaved. Ooh, probably, yeah. Suzuku's frustrated by his uh, vision of the green-haired girl, unsure of what happened there, especially since no combat recordings or data shows she existed. He sees Shirley pass through, but gets distracted by a chatty Lloyd. When he looks back, no sign of the redhead. Shoutouts to the animation on the, of the water inside of his water bottle and the way it tilts realistically. Love that. Uh, 
As Suzuku heads back onto the field for more cleanup, Lloyd and Cecily talk. Revealing the footage from the Lancelot, they're both certain that a woman named Rakshata is providing the rebels with the tech now. The Gurren's wave surger is something presumably only she could create. Meanwhile, the rebels are being transported in a nice limo with curtained windows to prevent them figuring out the route. At one point, yeah, everyone is... curtain from the side they're on, so it's just like, honor system, please don't look. It is incredibly funny because I did think about that as well. You'd think you would just, like, tint them. You would tint the windows. Nobody would look askance at a tinted limo, and you could just tint them on the inside, too. Yep. But eventually, everyone in the car is confused as they feel the car going vertically, having driven onto the loading elevator from Nerve. When they arrive, the nearby window lets them know they are inside the Fuji Mines, because in this timeline, Mount Fuji is no longer a sacred place, but the biggest source of Sakuradite in the nation, with massive facilities down a third of it to strip mine the bastard. This is before we invented mountaintop removal. Although that probably wouldn't look nearly as cool, let's be real. And you, no. you know they made this mountain look cyberpunk as hell on one side just to make it look cool. It does look cool. Yeah. True. From under a curtain, an old man vents his rage at this fact and apologizes for hiding his face when he's about to ask Zero to reveal his own. He tells Ogi to remove the mask, and while Callan objects, stating he's trustworthy, the old man makes clear this is not a request, as his twin bodyguards draw pistols and four nightmare frames move out of the shadows. Ogi apologizes and pulls off the mask, revealing Cece. In theory, this would go over without issue, except Callan goes, Wait, bullshit! I saw you with Zero already! Yep. Asked if this is true, C2 confirms she's not Zero, nor is she Japanese. And also, old man, you're Taizo, um, Kirihara. The bodyguards say that, well, everybody's gotta die now since a non-Japanese person knows the boss's identity, and they'd probably pull it off if one of the frames didn't immediately fire its slash harkens at the opposing mechs to disarm them before whipping an arm um, to one beside it for a triple hit. Uh, Zero is clearly inside the fourth mech as he kneels the frame down before um, Kirihara's seat, gun pointed at the old man, wielding a remote for the hand as he, re as he emerges. Um, he monologues a little, but does say that one thing is true. He is not Japanese. The rest of the knights go, well, that explains why he never shows his identity. As on the other side of the kneeling mech, Lelouch reviews, uh, removes his mask to show the old man his bare face. Not that anyone else could see based on, like, the insane neck on this cape. Yeah, you'd think so. Although his hair color would probably be a giveaway for the person who goes to school with him. That's true. Uh, Kirihara recognizes Lelouch, and it's, and we learn it's because Kirihara was entangled with the Kurugi administration before the invasion, so he knew the Lamparu's children for who they were. Kirihara approves of Lelouch embarking on the path of blood, and yells out from afar, Ogi, you can trust this man with your life, as he is a true enemy of the Britannians. As long as he leads you, we'll lend you funding, supplies, and intelligence. Somewhere in this scene, Tamaki is trying to jostle around the mech to get a view of Lelouch, and Kalan is holding him back. It's a pretty good bit. Yeah. Uh, we then go back to the tents of Narita, and it seems that, yes, Shirley was indeed here. She and her mother are the next of kin for one Joseph Finette, killed in the landside. Valletta is working the tents, and Shirley's ID used to confirm that... Oh, she's... What? 
Next oh, of kin. Used to confirm that she's next of kin. Has a picture of Lelouch folded inside of it. It is nighttime when we cut back to the city. Lelouch, under an umbrella in the rain, can't raise Shirley, and he thinks, Ah, oh, crap, I'm too late. At least the Black Knight's got a victory today. When he sees her just sitting, soaked in the rain, he rushes over to shield her from the weather and is going, Yeah, maybe we should go somewhere indoors when she cuts him off. Saying, Lulu, Zero, he fights for the weak, right? Well, yeah, that's what he says. Th then why did he kill my dad? And Lelouch is like, uh, recoiling as she keeps going. And she's just crying in the rain, obviously. My father was so gentle. He didn't do anything wrong, but he was buried alive. He couldn't breathe. Why did my dad have to die? And she just breaks down into sobs, throwing herself into Lelouch's arms, where the last words we hear are, Lelouch, help me, as she kisses him. He returns the gesture, wrapping his arms tight around her, and the episode ends. So, um, just a quick side note. There's a lot of different AU timelines for this fucking series with all the manga spinoffs, and apparently the movie I'm familiar with is also one of those spinoff universes. In checking Joseph Finette's wiki page to confirm his name, I discovered two wild details. The first is that in the compilation movies for season one, Joseph doesn't die. He's actually pointedly in some of the endgame montages alongside his never-named wife and Shirley. That's wild. The wilder one is apparently the manga just has no nightmare frames at all. That is also exceedingly wild. Imagine what this story is like without that. What's... How's, what's the deal with Suzuku? Just good at the best at shooting a gun there's ever been. I didn't dig deeper into that because his page is full of fucking spoilers for 17 timelines, one of which we're actually in. And yeah, no, uh, I, I had to look around to find multiple sources that say, no, there are just no robots in there because nobody wanted to draw them. They just use tanks and military hardware. Okay. Okay, this, this is a lie because I'm looking at the first chapter of the manga right now, and there's pointedly a nightmare frame. Okay. Where did you find that at? Uh, and which which manga, I should say? I, I don't... The, the Code Geass one. No, I there's... scrolled down to the bottom. Which, which one do you want me to look at? Suzaku of the Counterattack? Nightmare of Nanali? Lelouch of the Rebellion is the official adaptation, and that's the one that's supposed to have no mechs. This does... I don't even know if this is the right one, to be honest. Yeah, that's the problem. There, there's like I, 18. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot. Okay. And apparently most of them are side stories or their own tale. Anyway, we, we could get into that another time. With that done, how y'all feeling on this show? It's fine. It continues to be fun to watch and then never think about again. Yeah. It's, it's a fun time. I like watching robots punch, punch each other. It real good. Yeah. Junk food is uh, junk food is a good description of where we're at because, yeah. Uh, with that, plugs, Garrett. Um, God, do I even have any plugs at this point? Um, <laughs> once in indiscernible amount of time, I talk about Karate Bugman. Um, at journeythroughthedecacast.com, where we are in the middle of Blade. Chris. You can pay us money at pitchdrop.cash. If you pay a dollar, you get to listen to me and Ryan talk about Final Fantasy XIV. It's pretty good. 
You can also listen to Chris, Matt, and others discuss various anime that are not on this feed, including the currently running Serial Experiments Lane season. We only talk about really good ones or really bad ones. Yeah. Yeah, I would put that as a good description of what you've covered there. Yeah. JoJo's is one of the really bad ones. Spoilers. Eh, you did two seasons on it. That's more than I did. And we'll be back in two weeks with episodes 13 and 14, where clearly Shirley's week is not shitty enough yet, because the next episode is just called Shirley at Gunpoint. See ya! Bye! (laughs) I laughed so hard when that preview came up!